Last week, we looked at um, the idea that uh, Scripture underscores the centrality of relationships. And one thing we want our Grace Care Groups to be about, uh, as far as priority goes, it's because we believe that they're, they're central to Scripture. It's not something we want to add to a program that we already have in place. That's not the purpose of our care groups. Also, we want to offer a place where we can develop intimate relationships, where we can have fellowship. We're going to be talking about later fellowship and what that means. Um, also, we believe that it must be founded on sound doctrine. It's not just a get-together and feel-good session. We want to have some form of teaching God's Word and a clear biblical purpose in our groups. And this is review for those of you that weren't here last week. Um, and we're not going to just offer or have groups, but we really want our ministries to be built. We want our small uh, care groups to be the central focus of everything we do and are here at Grace Bible Church. And the reason is because that's where we feel real life change will happen. In other words, if you're meeting with a group of people, 10 to 12 people every week for... 18 to 24 months, do you think you're going to get to know them a little better than just coming here Sunday morning? You betcha. And for some of you may be saying, well, that means that they might get to know me a little better and I don't feel comfortable with that. Well, that we're going to be talking about that as well. Sometimes God pushes us out of our comfort zone. But why Grace Care Groups? There's three or four goals in Scripture. And we talked about this one last week, progressive sanctification. Today we're going to look at mutual care and fellowship. And then the last one was the ministry of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at progressive sanctification. And I gave you this definition of what sanctification is. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man, and man that makes us more free from sin and more like Christ. That's what sanctification is. And sometimes we get sanctification confused with um, justification. And justification is this. Justification is the instantaneous legal act of God in which He thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and He also declares us to be righteous in His sight. And so we looked at the difference and there's a chart there, I think in your notes, that kind of delineates the difference between justification and sanctification, but very vital to understanding what God wants to do in your life. Now, how do we accomplish this sanctification that we're talking about? Well, the first, and we talked about this last week, was relationships. You, you can't do this on your own. You're not going to be able to function as a thriving, growing believer if you're just an island onto yourself. It just won't happen. And then the second thing that we want to employ in allowing this sanctification to take place in our small groups, care groups, is God's Word. God's Word. We, we believe that God's Word has the ability, when it's applied, to change hearts. And last week we looked at James. As you turn there, James chapter 1. And we read these, these verses 22 to 24. And these are probably common to most of us. James 21, or James 1, 22 to 24, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You know, we want to not be that kind of man. 
we talked about how men spend seven years basically in the, in the uh, bathroom looking in the mirror. And we talked about how women can add several years to that, obviously. Um, but the important thing is, is we don't want to do what James is saying here. We don't want to look in God's Word on a Sunday morning and walk away and have no life change happening in our, in our lives. See, it's not good enough just to come Sunday morning and hear a message. I, 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 am, I, I understand the, the kind of the, the responsibility and, and I never take lightly what God has for us in His Word on Sunday morning and try my best to communicate what God's Word is saying to us. But I'm also under no delusion. I also know that if you just come here and hear someone speak about God's Word or even come to hear God's Word and you walk out those doors and you don't apply it to your life, it's not going to change you. It's not going to have any effect. See, we think somehow if we just come on a Sunday that by osmosis or something we'll become spiritual. It doesn't happen that way. It does not happen that way. I'm not downplaying, you know, coming to church. That's a good thing. That's what God commands us to do. But it'd be like looking in a mirror and walking away with your hair all out of place. I mean, think if we all looked in the mirror this morning and came to church just the way we got out of bed. I mean, it'd be a scary sight, no doubt, for all of us. Maybe not me as bad because I have no hair, but, you know, I mean, some of you got hair, you got to worry about those kind of things. See, the purpose of the mirror is to what? To make, to provoke an adjustment. You don't just walk to a mirror in the morning and go, oh yeah, look at me, and walk away. You go to the mirror so that you can see what needs to be put back together, what needs to be touched up. And that's so important to understand that. And see, Scripture is our mirror, spiritually. And what Scripture should do for us is it should provoke us to obey it. It should produce de definitive changes in our lives. That's what Scripture is called to do. So if we just are merely hearing the Word of God Sunday after Sunday, but we're failing to apply God's Word to our lives, you know what? It's really going to increase the degree of self-deception. Notice there it says, deceiving themselves, deceiving yourselves. And it's going to be, it's going to produce this deceptive outlook. And, and, you know, the Word of God is not going to change you, but you're going to think it is because you're going to church every week. But you're not really going to be seeing anything happen. And you're going to be deceived as a result. Rather than progressive sanctification. You notice there in that verse it says that you deceive who? Yourself. It's funny that sometimes when we think we're spiritual, other people can look at us and go, <laughs> you're about as spiritual as a gnat. What are you thinking? You know? And it's neat because we're all in the same boat, folks. I mean, we're all in this together. It's not like somehow you know, throughout the week as, as I open God's Word or whatever, that I, I can be more spiritual. Then it doesn't work that way. You have to apply God's Word to your life. And to be honest with you, sometimes I apply it and sometimes I don't. When I don't, usually I end up in some form of sin. Whether it be thought or deed. And see, we're all in this together. And the unfortunate thing in the church is somehow that we've concluded that 
those in authority within a church are somehow more spiritual than anybody else. That's not the case. It's just not the case. Hopefully they're more mature in their Christian walk. Hopefully they meet the biblical uh, recommendations and standards for an eldership or pastor or whatever it might be. But you know what? We all have the same flesh. We all are, are dealing with the same temptations. We all have the same propensity to sin. Once we begin to apply God's Word to our life, we begin to see that it has this effectiveness, that it actually affects change in our life. We want our, our grace care groups to be designed primarily, I don't know why there's three bullets there, I converted this from another file, that's why, but anyway, uh, <laughs> will be designed primarily for application of God's Word. See, we come here on Sunday, we hear the preaching and teaching of God's words and, 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 and His Word and to our hearts, and hopefully it edifies us and it builds us up. But you know what? There's not a whole lot of application here that goes on on a Sunday morning. There's just not time for that. I mean, it'd be neat to get in a big circle and go around and talk about what we're talking about this morning, and everything, but it's just not going to happen on a Sunday morning. We're dealing with limited time, limited resources. And so we've really prayed and we thought, you know, we could go the Sunday school route. You know, we're right after church, you have Sunday school, and then that's where you apply what's going on. But I don't know about you, but after I study and, and get ready to, to, to preach a message, you know, sometimes it, it takes a couple days for stuff to sink in. And I'm sure it's the same for you. You may hear something on a Sunday morning, someone's up here preaching, but you know what? It, you may not really kind of get what was going on until God kind of moves that into your heart on Tuesday or Wednesday. So sometimes it takes some, some time for that application process to take place. So we thought, what a better, what not a better way than to have small groups that would highlight what's taught on Sunday morning, and then you give an, an opportunity to apply that to your lives. And it's not just another time where there's teaching and preaching. That's not the emphasis of our small groups. They're designed for application. And I just want to share this because sometimes when we think Bible study, you know, when we think Bible study, we want to make sure that we understand what that means. It doesn't mean coming together with ten people and reading a verse, you know, okay, well, let's see what this says. Well, what does that mean to you, Joe? What does that mean to you, Bob? And what does that mean to you, Sally? Well, I think it means this, and I think it means that, and I well, great, okay. Next question, let's go to the next verse. That's not what a Bible study is. That's not what coming together and, and being built up in the faith is. That's just some people getting together, swapping opinions or personal preferences or whatever you want to call them. But we don't want to gather together just to exchange opinions. What good is that? We gather together to learn God's truth. You're probably no more interested in my opinion than I am of yours. That's why when we come to the Word of God, we want to understand what it says. What's it saying? You know, somebody says, well, that's your interpretation. No, you know, good law of hermeneutics tells us that there's only ever one interpretation of Scripture. What it says. But there's many applications. You may meet, read these verses and say, wow, this means this to me. Hey, that's fine. But first of all, you better find out what the writer intended for the reader. That's, that's so key. 
And we've gotten sloppy sometimes in our Bible study. I mean, if you, if you, if you don't agree, just go to the bookstore and find some of these, you know, so-called curriculum. And it's so generic and it's so watered down, there's no definition of any line at all in the sand. And so we want to provide a place, first of all, where this progressive sanctification happens, where we can apply God's Word. And mostly, most of the time, hopefully it's going to be something that's tied in with the message on Sunday. So that you're not bombarded with 50 million different things throughout the week. You know, you've got a Bible study on Tuesday, then you've got another this and going on. You've got all this stuff going into your life, but you have no, no way to kind of let it flow out. See, every year we believe that you should be able to look back and identify distinct areas which you have changed in your small group. And that's a difference that, that is going to happen if you're plugged into one. Well, that's the first one, progressive sanctification. Second ones, or the, the second ones are rather quickly. Turn over to, uh, goes rather quick, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And like I said, this isn't our normal mode of teaching. Usually we're in a book. Right now we're in the Gospel of Matthew and we're just kind of doing this topical thing for a couple of weeks to kind of highlight our small group ministry. And we'll be getting back into Matthew chapter 4 in the coming weeks. Second thing we talked about as far as our, our grace care groups was we want to be called to mutual care. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says here in verse 24 to 26. Actually, let's go back. Let's go back to uh, verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, and this is what I want you to focus on: having greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, no division in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, will all the members suffer with it? Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And he goes on to say that we are the body of Christ. You know, that's such an important thing for us to understand. And churches in general have fallen away from that. You know, they've become kind of everybody's either age appropriate and you go to your own little whatever and, and it's, it's, there's these major schisms in the body. He says there should be no schism. And that's where these smaller groups, we come together for general worship to experience God's grace together on Sundays. And then as we gather together in these smaller groups, we, we begin to experience God's grace with one another. We begin to mutually care for one another. It's impossible to show up on a Sunday and, and know what's going on in somebody's life. Nearly impossible. And I think that part of it is, you know, that we don't want to. Because <laughs> we're too busy. We don't want to know what's going on in somebody else's life. And we don't want them to know what's going on in my life. That's the way we feel. And it's important that we understand that no matter how extensive your knowledge of Scripture is. Okay? You have to go back to, to doing this. We have to do what God's Word calls us to do. God's Word calls us to care for one another. 
Look at this quote by Peter Davis. He says, True knowledge is the prelude to action, and it is the obedience of the word that counts in the end. See, it's not, it's not enough just to say, oh, I memorized all these scriptures. It's not enough to know I know all the books of the Bible backward and forward. I know this, I know that. That's not what we're talking about. That's head knowledge. Most of you are probably far superior in your head knowledge of God's word than, than I am. That, that doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about. We're not going to take a test. God's saying, how are you applying what you know? What you know to be true, are you applying it in your life? Are you obeying what I've already told you to do? In Scripture, Christians, and even in our society, have always been characterized by their sacrificial love for each other. Galatians says just that. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will what? Fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2 You know, in a Sunday morning meeting, there's obvious limitations to our ability to express care for the body. You just can't do it. Not that you can't do some of it, but there's no way that you can you know, minister to everybody's needs on a Sunday morning. Sometimes you see God touching somebody's heart and you want to go you know, minister to them right now. Well, you can't because you're in the middle of a message. So how does that work? Well, in the small group context, we're not so limited. You know, you may have a small group and you come together one night and you have worship and you have Bible study and you have prayer time together and, and the next week you come together and, and, and maybe the leader has prepared his, his teaching and everything, but somebody in your small group has just experienced a major tragedy in their life. We don't want to be the kind of group that just says, well, you know, okay, we'll pray for you at the end, but we've got to do the agenda here. We've got this teaching, we've got this. We... No. We want a place that provides mutual care, one for another. We want a place where relationships can flourish. We don't want anybody to be overlooked or neglected. That's, that's a big part of mutual care. That's a big part of having close relationships with somebody. And a lot of people make certain assumptions. You know, I, I've heard people that go to very large, we're a small church, but I've heard people that go to very large churches saying, oh, you know, it's hard to have close relationships. And I've heard people that go to a small church and say, well, that's what I like about our small church. You know, we have close relationships. I believe both are false. I've seen churches, large mega churches that are thriving in their personal relationship area, in their mutual care for one another. And I've seen very, very small churches with a lot smaller than ours, that literally no mutual care exists at all. They show up on Sunday and that's it. So close relationships are not dependent on the size of the church. Both of those assumptions are false. We want to make sure that we have a church where relationships come to the surface. And they should be that way because that's what God has biblically kind of told us in His Word. He never addresses, we talked about this last week, He never addresses, you know, the, the one another's and all that to single people. It's always plural. It's always plural. It's always to the corporate body. It's to a group of people. See, the problem with our society is we've become so isolationist and everything that so independent, so when we come to church Sunday morning, what do we have in our mind? I better have a good worship experience today. I better like the music. He better play the song I want. 
When he speaks, he, he better be interesting to me. We have no concern for anybody else in the room. And, and that's really even portrayed in the way people worship. Stop and think about it. When we come here on a Sunday morning, and I look out, I see a lot of people, and I'm not saying this is wrong, don't get me wrong. But I see there's a big promotion today in, in the whole worship genre and everything that's going on to promote individual worship. You go and you just lose yourself in the crowd. And it's all about you and God. Beloved, that's not what it's about on Sunday morning. We're called to worship as a body. You come together as a body of Christ. And that should be the goal. It's not about your individuality on a Sunday morning. That's not what it's about. Save that for your private prayer closet at home, your devotion at home. That's what that's about. But on Sunday morning, we're here to meet needs. We're here to minister. We're here to serve one another as, the body, as Christ calls us to do. And so many times we walk through these doors thinking, okay, you know what, what's in it for me? That's the wrong attitude. And God will not bless that attitude. We need to have the kind of attitude when we come together you know what, this Sunday I'm going to find somebody that I never talked to before and I'm going to go up and introduce myself and you know, just get to know them a little better. I'm going to look for somebody that's maybe dealing with some issues and maybe you know, I can just let them talk to me. I don't have all the answers, but maybe I'll just reach out and say a kind word or give somebody a hug or a handshake that I encourage them. That's what it's all about. And beloved, I'm preaching to myself first because that doesn't come naturally to me. I'm a very, okay, this next, this next, this next. If you're in my way, it's like, get out of my way. Especially on a Sunday morning. And you know what? That's not pleasing to God. I know that, and I'm trying to work on that in areas. It's like every time I make some headway, it seems like Satan has his way on a Sunday morning. You know, a computer crashes, or I lose something, or whatever, and I'm thrown into this panic mode. God also has a sense of humor. He probably looks down a lot of times and says, Hey, you know, mister, it's not about you. It's about serving my people. It's about loving my people. It's about hopefully faithfully teaching His Word. You do it to the best of your ability. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're all called to do. That's what mutual care is all about. Carrying each other's burdens. But half the time we don't even know what burden somebody may be carrying. Such an important concept. You know, there was a point, just quickly, in my ministry here at Grace several years ago, where I'll just be up front, I got my, I got my wife and I in such a financial bind that I wasn't even making my, my commitment to paying the monthly rent for the, the Jetter property. I was putting it off. I'll catch up next month. I'll catch up next month. And because of my pride and because of my just overwhelming, you know, I was just overwhelmed with this situation. I had some tax issues and it just snowballed. I thought, well, I'll just kind of keep it from everybody and deal with even my wife. Just kind of pay it off. Pay it off. Just get it done. It'll be better next month. It'll be better next month. Well, you know what? It never got better. And there came a time where I had to sit down with the elders and make some radical changes in the way that I did my, not only my finances, but the way we were doing our marriage. There wasn't an openness there. 
when it came to certain things. And you know what? Through that time, I remember thinking, you know what? I'm just going to... And, and I just want to say this. None of it was done in a malicious way. It wasn't like, you know, I'm trying to bilk the church for money or anything like that. I, pure intentions of paying everything back. It was just, you know, we were in debt up to our eyeballs. And the hole was getting deeper. And I remember sitting down with the elders and, and some other men as well and, and talking about this and thinking, you know what, I'll just resign. I'll just leave. It's just, it's just too embarrassing. And I'll somehow get a job and pay this stuff back. But you know what, I, I just don't know if I can do this. And God was there all along saying, you know what, you're right. You can't do it. You cannot do this on your own. You can't do it. And you know what? There's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for the, the men that we have in our church. Ken and John and Danny others, Iver, came alongside of me and walked me through this step by step by step. Because I couldn't have done it. You know, that's, that's a mutual care that that I didn't want personally because, you know, nobody likes to disclose that kind of a need uh, especially when you're the pastor of the church, for goodness sakes. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just a hard thing to, to talk about. But you know what? God was faithful. And, and He provided that mutual care through men who, you know what? They just didn't show up on my door and start talking about this. I had had a relationship with these guys for, for years. And we had the freedom to talk about hard things. And we still do. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for our relationships. Because frankly, it would have been a lot easier just to say, ah, you know what, <laughs> I'm out of here. But that's not what God would want. God wants to change us. God wants us to, to yield to His power. And sometimes, you know what, that, that change affects itself through other people. You know, there's a, there's a time in our life, I think, when we really need to stop and kind of reassess our priorities. That's what I had to do. That's what we had to do. Um, it wasn't easy. But you know what? I look back on that and I'm thinking, not that it's not a major thing, but at the time that was eating me up especially when I wasn't telling anybody about financial things, just eating me up day after day, week after week. You know, it's horrible. And yet, God was gracious. And I can look back on that now and thank Him for everything that I've been through, simply because God is faithful. God provides a way out, and He did. But it wasn't from running from the problem. It was about yielding to those around us who are, are, are able to, to mutually care for us. It wasn't easy. But God blessed. That's what mutual care is all about. Third thing here. Fellowship. Not only progressive sanctification, not only mutual care that we want to provide for each other, that's what's going to happen in these small groups, but also <clears throat> fellowship. You know, I think that if we were in a small group at that time, going through that, I, it wouldn't have got to the, the point that it did. Because there would have been accountability. 
There would have been somebody staring me in the face week after week going, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Is there anything in your life that's, you know, awry or whatever? Let's talk about it. I want to read this illustration when we talk about fellowship. Because a lot of times we, uh, we have a skewed idea of what fellowship is. We just don't understand it. And a lot of times we think it's, well, you know, you go and you, you hang out or whatever. That's not what it is. Just listen to this illustration. This is uh, from one of uh, uh, Mahaney's books. It says, in the heart of Charleston, South Carolina, stands an old church building. Bright stained glass offsets the solemnity of the heavy brick, heavy red brick. Inside, pictures of Jesus and other biblical figures etched in glass filter the light of the worship place. A hand-carved altar piece reaches to the vaulted ceiling. Someone gave great attention to detail in designing and building this house of worship. Above the entrance, inlaid in brick, is a cross, the symbol and heart of Christendom for 2,000 years. He goes on, he says, but times have changed. The need for a house of worship has been replaced in Charleston's tourist district by the need for a prime restaurant place. So today, the former Church of the Redeemer has been transformed into the Mesa Grill. The church's name, carved in marble, the placard at the sidewalk's entrance looks sidewalk's entrance looks as if someone has tried to sandblast it away. In, gla- in the glass case, which once announced activities in a weekly sermon, there now hangs today's menu. Where hardwood pews <clears throat> once filled the worship space, unupholstered booths sit among the potted plants. Rock music pulsates through the atmosphere. Sting has replaced Handel, as nachos have replaced communion bread. None of the patrons seem particularly aware of the incongruity of this place. See, sometimes we lose sight of what true fellowship is, and it's not just an instant thing. It happens over a gradual process. And somehow we keep the term fellowship, but that's not what biblical fellowship is happening. That's not what's going on. We think sometimes biblical, or we think that fellowship is this. We think... Somehow, oops, going the wrong way. We think that somehow fellowship is. uh, Fellowship is not just having human exchanges with somebody. That's not what fellowship is. It's not just going to a social event, it's not just going to a Bible study, it's not just sharing your doctrinal personal views, and it's definitely not group therapy. That's not what fellowship is. That's not what we want our small groups to be about. Fellowship is this. It's a unique Christian experience. That's what what fellowship is. It's uniquely Christian. The word koinonia means this. It means participation. It means having a mutual sharing. Over in Acts... Chapter 2, you notice there, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and what? And fellowship. 2.42, Acts 2.42. And the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to it. It wasn't just something they did on the side. This was their life. 
over in Philemon 1.6, it says this, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may promote the knowledge of all the good that is ours in Christ. Philippians 2.1 says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation or fellowship in the Spirit. Well, what is fellowship as defined in the New Testament then? Look at this definition. Participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through union with Christ. That's what true biblical fellowship is. It's not about going to a 49ers game and sitting there talking with the, the guys. That's not fellowship. True fellowship happens when you can participate together in a life wrapped around the truth of God that's made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. It's the sharing of something in common, someone wrote, on the deepest possible level of human relationship, our experience with God Himself. Do you understand that if you're a believer here this morning, we share something in common that's uniquely Christian? Our experience with God Himself, that He has forgiven us, that He has made us new in Christ, that He has transformed our lives. You know what? It has to start with God. We'll never have fellowship with one another if we don't have fellowship with God first. Turn over to 1 John. 1 John. And this is so, so important. 1 John chapter 1. Fellowship with God is always a prerequisite to fellowship with anybody. And this is what John is sharing with us in 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 3. He says that we have seen and heard and declare to you that you also may have what? Fellowship with us. And truly are what? Fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things I wrote that your joy may be full. Now look at what he says down in verse 6 and 7. This is the message that we've heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Look at what he says in verse 6. And if we say that we have fellowship with Him, if we say we have fellowship with Him, it's not saying you have fellowship. It's saying if you say you have fellowship with Him, and what? And you walk in the darkness, what are you? You're a liar. It says we lie and we don't practice the truth. See, there's a lot of people today in our society that are saying with their tongues, with their words, oh, I have fellowship with God. They don't know the first thing about fellowship. They don't know what that means. They've never been to the cross. They, they don't understand. They just think that somehow this is some religious thing. You know, you have different segments. You have your job and you have the time you play and then you have spiritual time you go to church. And you know what? Satan looks at that and says, hey, that's cool. Go to church. <laughs> that's fine. If it doesn't change you, that's okay. You can go to church all you want. Go to church seven days a week. As long as you don't apply what you hear, as long as you don't, uh, aren't in some form of mutual care and you aren't seeing God progressively sanctify you, Satan doesn't care what you do. 
But we have to start with God. We have to understand that we need fellowship with God first. And that fellowship from the beginning has been severed because of sin. And we all are guilty of sin. There's not a person in this room today that can stand up and say, you know what, I've never sinned in my entire life. I'm perfect. Because you would be God Himself. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make that claim. So what John is pointing out, if we say we have fellowship, and yet we walk in darkness, what's that mean? That means your life is consumed with darkness. That's where the majority of your time is spent, in darkness. That's your heart's desire, is to stay in darkness. And you avoid the light at all costs. It's a way of life. There's been no transformation. It says we lie and we do not practice the truth. What are they lying about? They're lying that they have fellowship with God. In other words, they don't have any fellowship with God because they don't have any relationship with God. They don't know God. They just know of God. And they put on some religious cloak that makes them look religious. They go to church or they do certain things. God wants so much more from us. And He has so much more for us if we're just willing to come to Him on His terms. He goes on there in verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, who? God, Christ. Then we have fellowship with who? With one another. See? You have to cover the fellowship with God first, beloved. If you're sitting here this morning and, you, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you never cried out to Him and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I recognize that I'm a sinner before a holy God and there's, there's, I deserve hell. That's all I deserve. That's a prayer God will hear. And God will transform your heart. God will come into your life in a way that He's never before. And He'll make all things new. He'll transform you into somebody who's walking in darkness. Maybe you don't even realize you're walking in darkness. And He calls us out of the darkness and He places us in the light, in Christ. But it takes a willing heart. God's not going to drag you to heaven kicking and screaming. He just won't do that. He wants you to yield your desire to Him. And when you do that, it says you have fellowship one with another. Proof of that. You go on a trip and you go to church somewhere that you've never been to church there before and you walk in and there's believers in that place. Immediately, you have fellowship with them. You can identify with them. Why? Because you have a central source of that fellowship. Who? God. And immediately, you're on the same plane with them. You may not even know them that well, but you still have that deeper sense of fellowship, Christian fellowship. But it has to start with God first. And he goes on here and he says, we have that fellowship with one another. And at the end of that verse, he says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us, what? From all sin. And he continues, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Once again, we're right back to the part, you know, the people going to the, the Word and, and looking in there and walking away, not changed. They're deceiving themselves. Well, same thing here. 
John says, if you're saying you have fellowship and you don't see God working in your life, you don't see any element of God transforming your life in some way, you're not changing more like Christ on a daily basis somehow. You may have never been cleansed from all your sin through Jesus Christ. You may be deceiving yourselves. Especially if you're sitting there saying, well, I don't, I don't have any need for this. I don't have any sin. I mean, I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen from my job. I've never... It doesn't matter. Have you ever told a lie? I mean, it's just silly to think that somebody would say that they've never done something wrong. The fact of the matter is, we have that attitude. It's called a prideful attitude. It's like me sitting there looking at my checkbook week after week going, how am I going to make this work? I don't, I'm deceiving myself. I was deceiving myself. It took someone else to come along and say, hey, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. What's going on? We need to talk. Verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once again, if you're sitting there saying you have not sinned, you make him a liar and, the, and, the, and his word is not in us. Beloved, we want his word in us. And God basically works it this way. There's one source of our fellowship, that is God, but there's two channels that this fellowship can be worked out. One is his, his spirit directly in our hearts. When we come to Christ, God deposits His Holy Spirit in our lives and, and he, he molds and makes us more and more into the image of Christ each day. But you know what? Never for, forget that God works also through His Spirit through other believers. And so, you know, the idea that somehow you can do this Christianity thing on your own, it's just not true. It's a lie that Satan wants you to believe. I'll just close with this quote from J.I. Packer. He says, Fellowship is a sharing with our fellow believers the things that God has made known to us about Himself in hope that we may thus help them to know Him better and so enrich their fellowship with Him. Fellowship is a seeking to share what God has made known to Himself to others as a means to finding strength, refreshment, and instruction for our own soul. You know, our whole goal with care groups is to provide an environment where you can come along somebody and see progressive sanctification happening in your life. You can provide mutual care for them. Also, you can have fellowship with them. And also see their gifts being used as they're gifted through the Holy Spirit. And it's our prayer that, you know, I mean, I... We're really kind of sold out on this because we believe that it's so central to God's Word. Acts, it says they went house to house. It didn't just come out on Sunday. It was so much more than that. And we're asking you to prayerfully, prayerfully consider this commitment to our, to our group ministry. And you know, I, I was going to have a handout in the back this week for you to pray or for you to write down what the dates are. But you know what? I thought I'm going to do it, not this week, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it the week after because I, I want to make sure that you understand the, the necessity of this. And you know what? I'm more of the persuasion, if you're not signing up for a care group, 
you better have a pretty good reason. Because you're being disobedient. I really feel this to what God wants to work in your life. I really believe that. And I, I want you to prayerfully consider that this next week. And like I said, there's, there's none really, you know, we don't have any, you know, we're working kind of out of the box here. I mean, if we have 15 people show sign up for a Friday, well, then that's when it, we'll have a care group. If we have five people show up or sign up for one on a Monday, or some of you older folks, you don't want to come out at night, and you say, hey, well, I'd like to get together with some, some other folks, we'll do one in the afternoon. There's no limit. Now, obviously, we can't please everybody. <laughs> So we're going to have to take the, the, the responses that we get that you prayerfully submit and then say, okay, look, here's what we're going to start. We're going to start with these three or we're going to start with these two. And we'll go from there. But we really, really feel that God wants to, to work so much more in our lives than just a Sunday morning shot in the arm. And that happens through a small group, care group, like we're going to be starting in the coming weeks. Let's close in a word of prayer and ask the worship team to come and, and we're going to... Uh, sing a couple songs before our communion time together. And just to let you know, we practice an open communion time. And what that means is it's open to those who know Christ. And if you don't know Christ in a personal way, you've never been converted, you've never uh, been saved, some people use that, born again, um, you know, we just appreciate you just passing these elements by because they probably don't mean anything to you. This isn't a religious thing we're doing. It's something that we're commanded to do by Jesus Christ. And uh, you don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to be a member... Uh, we would respect that of His church, uh, the bigger church. Uh, let's close the word of prayer. Father, we thank You for this morning. Lord, we pray that You administer this truth to our hearts. Lord, I, I pray that as we consider where and how we'll be involved with each other in mutual care and in the ministry, Lord, that You would uh, minister this truth to our hearts. Show us and, and, and reveal to us uh, how You want us to be plugged in. Lord, we know that it's, it's central to Scripture. In the New Testament church, it was so different than it is today. And I know culturally and socially it is anyway. But, but Father, it doesn't mean that we can't draw some of that and, and apply it to our lives. And, Father, we pray that you would uh, just raise people up um, to lead and to, to care for the folks that will be uh, signing on to our small group ministry. Lord, we think of our communion time. We pray that you would just... there's anything in our heart that is dishonoring to you, anything that would hinder uh, our walk with you, I pray that we would confess it even now as your word says, Lord, that we would come to this communion table with a clean heart, with a pure conscience. Lord, that you would do that work first in us and then that we could partake together. We thank you and we praise you, Father. In Jesus' name.